Lane. Uh, I'm Jim. I'll be hosting this pod tonight with all the enthusiasm and intensity of a Tottenham Hotspur side in a London derby. But I have eaten this week before recording. Uh, those of you with good hearing and or headphones not made by Apple may have noticed some munching sounds on the last pod. Uh, clearly, the acoustics in my bedroom are better than I give them credit for. Please don't tell my landlord. <laughs> um, when I say I've eaten, I've actually eaten a bit of a snack. I'm going to make food afterwards. Not that that's very interesting to me. But joining me tonight is a man who is, quote, making some tasty miso thing for dinner. Uh, and he has some things to say. Hello, Jules. <laughs> You're right, Jim. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. Um the others can't join us tonight, and I think even if they could, they wouldn't be bothered to. Um, <laughs> so just have to put up with the two of us. I've not seen Jules since about 2004, um, so this would be nice. How, how, how have you been? I've been good. I've been busy. Um, had to go up to, to Manchester for work. Had to go to North, you know, anything anything past the Watford Gap, as far Very as I'm nice. concerned, then, then, then that's North. Um, so yeah, it's been a busy time, but now I'm sort of tagging in for um, those tiresome duo who I think have gone away to to drink, um, celebrate Ash's impending wedding, um, and to basically try and forget about Tottenham Hotspur for for five or six days. Um, they seem to be doing an okay job. Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're having a better time than anybody else. Um, Ash is is getting married. Uh, hasn't really hasn't thought about the concept of getting married on New Year's Eve and what that's going to mean for his anniversary every single year for the rest of his life. Uh, but we'll let him realise that in his own time. <laughs> I, love, I love the idea of, um, him, uh, of him only realising when he listens to this podcast. He's going to be on a train coming down, sat next to Fen with a bag of quavers, and he's going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> every anniversary is going to be the most expensive day ever. Um, yeah. Well, that's nice for him. I've just got back from a weekend in Dublin, which is very nice. Um, how, how was having a tray of Guinness built on you? Yeah, that was that was a particular highlight. So uh, day one, I did the tourist thing and went up to the Guinness storehouse, uh, had a pint of Guinness in the uh, in the sort of rooftop bar thing they've got there. Um, quite nice, actually. I don't even like Guinness, but that was all right. Um, yeah, just about to leave. Uh, barman comes over with his tray of glasses picks up <laughs> empty pint glass and tips the entire tray of Guinnesses all over me. Was uh, it was it was it over the lap or over the shirt or both? It was over the lap, but also like the bags and the shoes oh, and no. it was one of those where you can't detonate because you're like, oh mate, you've had a nightmare. But at the same time, <laughs> like I am now covered in a remnant, foul smell, remnant foul tasting. Ugh. Mm. Um, so he was just like, "Oh, would you like another pint?" <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say least least I think he can do is offer you another pint, but that that is savage. I remember in in the heady days of youth going with Fen to Watford Oceana, um, and we had only been in for about ten minutes when uh, a girl behind me um, threw her drink at. at presumably her boyfriend or her, uh, you know, some someone important to her in a in a fight um, and managed to cover my entire white shirt in uh, vodka Coke. And it stayed from, this. yeah, about 10.30 in the evening onwards, I was just painted. I was like, well, the only thing to do now is to get a shot. <laughs> it's the only thing that can make <laughs> this better. <laughs> well, um that's nice. And, and my uh, my advice on behalf of the Dublin Tourist Board is, yeah, definitely go visit if you haven't been to Dublin, but be prepared to pay through the nose for absolutely everything. Also, 21st century, major European capital of a first world European Union country where they only take coins on the bus. <laughs> Seriously. I can only imagine how, how much that would have infuriated you. Anyway, um, speaking world. of European travels, you can tell that we're procrastinating and trying not to talk about Tottenham Hotspur, um, but we probably should do. Um, Thursday night, Vitesse won Tottenham nil. Um, Jules, on the, on the pod, the last pod that you weren't here for, um, we talked about this game and kind of before the pod, we were talking about the possibility that 
Spurs might lose this one. And I, I nearly went for a defeat because I, I could sort of see it coming. Um, but in classic Spineless style, I didn't back myself. Um, but this was this was really predictable, I thought. Yeah, um, and worrying, worryingly, we're kind of setting a pattern in, in that regard um, of predictably bad performances in ways that we're oh too familiar with. It's also a situation where we seem to go into these games with complete sort of apathy and we pick a lineup which if a lineup could reflect apathy this one did we literally left everyone mm. who mattered in another country um mm. meanwhile the local hosts think it's an enormous scalp to have Tottenham Hotspur coming to town and they put out their best side and try and you know really go for it and they had the crowd on side uh, it was it was the perfect culmination of all the things which go wrong with a European fixture yeah, it was funny because we, we were having a conversation about how much you rotate. Uh, and I think Nuno, not unfairly, has had a bit of criticism. And I guess it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, things should have been differently. But I, I think in this case, it wasn't hindsight, it was foresight. I, I think um, the three of us that were on the last pod all, all agreed that some big name players or some, some regulars should be starting. I certainly said you would expect to see uh, at least some of the... Um, the near squad, I suppose you would call them, the players that are usually on the bench for the Premier League, the Les Celsos, players like that, that aren't starting every game, um, but are, are at least decent backup options should be should be there. Um, seems slightly odd to me to have rotated so heavily. I know you've got the Thursday-Sunday turnaround, but to put it into context, played Newcastle last week. London is closer to Arnhem than it is to Newcastle. This was not a long away day. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's an hour and a bit on a, on a plane. It's a few hours on the train. It's not a long journey. Um, oh, and we did joke. Um, that I, I certainly made a joke on the last pod saying, does anybody really care about this game? Because it's the Europa Conference League. Um, but I suppose the only thing uh, that would turn the Europa League, uh, sorry, the Conference League from being something to not be bothered about to being something really bothered about is to not even make it out of the group stage of Europe's third tier competition, which, you oh, know, with so every passing game, increase, increasing chance that might happen, isn't it? Yeah, it's worrying that it could happen. Um, and I understand the need to rotate. Obviously, that that's the case. But um, I'm starting to wonder whether splitting your squad, as it seems, just entirely in two and playing one eleven there and one eleven there. Um, I don't think the squad is flourishing under that system. I think it, it, mm-hmm. there's a sense that the sort of the second tier players are almost um, being being put in like sort of the bottom set. You know what I mean? They're sort of like being being pushed down a little bit. And I know that feeling. Um, and <laughs> I was going to say this. <laughs> This is basically free therapy for you at this point, isn't it? I mean, nothing to do with Tottenham is free therapy, let's be honest. It's very expensive (laughs) torture. Um, But no, I think think that approach of kind of splitting the squad is forcing good players to almost play down to a level and and they're clearly lacking confidence. But they also just seem unable to to raise the level just to show how good they are. Like, you know, players like Deli Ali and, you know, Ben Davies is meant to be a competent player. And I'm looking at the likes of the Celso, useless, Winks, useless, back four all over the place. And we've just bought Brian Hill for £20 million. And, and frankly, you know, youth team players would be doing better. So it's, it's a bit of a worrying moment where we're splitting the squad so firmly. And I can't tell if we're making players shit or if they were always shit. Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I guess the... the um, the optimistic view, I know we, we, we try not to be uber negative and God knows we need it. Um, <laughs> it's still only three games into this competition. You would expect that Spurs will get some results and get out of this group regardless. Um, if my understanding of the competition is right, then if you win the group, you go into the quarterfinals. And if you you basically skip around and if you mm. finish second you go into the next round the round of 16 and you're joined by the teams that go out of the Europa League group stage in third place so yeah. uh, I think that's the case I might be talking total bollocks wouldn't be the first time um, <laughs> but there's ob- there's an obvious incentive to try and win the group um, 
so I guess it does load a bit of uh, not necessarily pressure, but a bit more spice and a bit more entertainment into the next three games in this group. I think I think the next one is is the return leg against Vitesse, um, who have obviously demonstrated themselves to be, uh, you know, they 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 will apply themselves well. They'll be organised and they'll make it difficult. So. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes, but let's um, let's park that particular uh, away date for a moment and move on to the next one, which is Stratford away. Speaking of the squad, um, it seems to me like Nuno, in the league at least, is starting to come around to a particular preferred lineup. Um, and a particular formation. It, it seems pretty obvious that he wants where it allows those 11 players to be starting. Um, possibly with the, there's a question around Mora and Bergwijn and Wavi, but, but you're, you're generally there. He obviously wants to be a 4-2-3-1. I think it's the third successive game that's picked the same starting 11. Um, mm. We've talked previously about Spurs lacking squad depth, and I guess later on we can get into what it says about everybody else. But everything you you just said, Jules, about the splitting the squad into two, it does feel at least a little more settled in the Premier League before we get to what happened in the game itself. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's definitely settled, and and I think you know that is a good thing and it's something Nuno has been known for in the past with Wolves you know you could certainly have picked I think the key kind of forward players in his teams there you knew that midfield pivot of Moutinho and Neves was there you knew the, how the front line would connect um, and in theory I look at this and I think yeah it makes sense the centre-halves appear to be doing better in the last few weeks Reguilon mm-hmm. and, and Royale are clearly our strongest full-backs and you know he's managing to get you know and Domble front and centre, who I've always hoped would get that that chance. Um, but there's a difference between getting just the same eleven on the pitch and developing cohesion and any kind of pattern of play. And I and I don't know if it's too unfair to blame him for that. You know, you you always remind me it's still fairly early on in his tenure. Um, but I do feel like there's a there's a real lack of identity. Um, it's the same eleven names, but I don't see the same way that we try and score goals. Mm. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I guess the best way to kind of talk about this game is in broad, broad strokes, really, isn't it? Because overall, um, it was it was dull as fuck. Like, let's be honest, it, it was it, it was boring, <laughs> wasn't it? And 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 just a bit just a bit disappointing, really. Uh, quite apart from the defeat, just the game mm. itself was was a bit crap. And, and, and to be honest, a lot of Premier League games are, but. Um, it felt to me like, particularly the first half, Spurs grew into it after starting very, very slowly. That's a a kind of recurring pattern with Nuno's teams, which I think is slightly concerning and something he's probably going to have to rectify if he's going to get anywhere at Spurs. Um, but not a lot happened in that first half. It was sort of, it was nil-nil at half time, and it was a nil-nil game it felt like, and nobody had really taken it by the neck, scruff of the neck, and, and it was it was sort of there for the taking in the second half, but it, it just, I mean, I could have a field day here. Um, I, I know, I know, there are, there, are open, there are open goals, I feel like you're doing one of those training sessions where they, they put four goals around you so you can shoot at any second, and you, you literally could just enjoy yourself however you see fit. <laughs> well, it's the, I guess my issue with this game is it's the, it, it's the the three things that I talk about all the time. It's the three things I find inexcusable in professional football. Pointless possession, really poor use of space, and statuesque movement. I mean, there was no movement for the whole game. And mm. sometimes I, I watch a game and have a particular reading of it, and I sometimes wonder, do I know what I'm talking about? when I watch football <laughs> matches or, or am I just seeing something that nobody else sees and it's total crap but then I've looked at what everybody else says and what everybody else thinks and I think actually no I probably do know what I'm talking about it was <laughs> your most sick team performances I can remember in years yeah it was it was dull 
Uh, it was turgid. Um, and I completely agree with you. I think the possession was really aimless and there was a complete lack of movement. Um, you know, I, and it's just movement also in, in all the wrong areas. Like I feel like our, I know Mora kept popping up in centre mid and sort of more then look up as if he could try and pass to sort of ghost himself 20, 20 yards further up the pitch. And it didn't really work. Um, mm. And I think we we just had a complete lack of any kind of enthusiasm. I just It looked to me like, I don't know, the footballing equivalent of when you try and drive a car and you realise you've still got the handbrake on. Um, like just kind of stuck and you can kind of jolt forward bit by bit as you kind of work the clutch. But really just fucking help, help yourself out there. Like, you know... It's boring. Um, and West Ham are not some great team to be feared. Like, you know, I understand mm. being a bit more defensive if you're up against City or Liverpool or Chelsea. But after those three, really, like, what is the point? Like, we, we aren't known for having a rock-solid defence, are we? It's a, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because West Ham aren't... Um, if they're not the team they were under Allardyce and Pardew and... You know the team of ten years ago that was getting relegated under Alfram Grant. They they are a good side, and it was never going to be um, it was never going to be the easy game that it that Newcastle was because they're a better team, and you've got you know as long as you've got players like Declan and Rice doing the hard work and doing the niggly bits of the game that nobody wants to do, you're not going to have those little pockets of space on the edge of the area. You're not going to find it as easy to cut through and play through the lines but it was just uh I, I don't know it it felt a little bit like this is what you get when your entire forward line is off form um, <laughs> I thought it's amazing it's amazing to have so many people just looking so I think yeah you said earlier statuesque and so many people who just don't really look like they want to be there um mm. and I feel like none of them do or maybe they're all just you know they all just have a lovely old time at at Spurs training lodge and it's a lovely facility and they get to live in London and have get paid hundreds and thousands of pounds and they actually just go yeah well we'll just we'll just have a go it's okay you know mm. it's not the end of the world it's comfortable mm. I, I wonder whether maybe we're being unfair but um Harry Kane I thought had a terrible game and oh just looks well it looks frankly like he doesn't want to be there which is I guess not surprising but I wonder whether that has a when he is sort of the the talisman, the the Spurs figure, whether mm. that has a a sort of net negative effect on everybody else, but but maybe the, maybe I'm just being a dick. I don't know. No, you, you're not being a dick. It's exactly what I said three weeks ago, and Ash shot me down because Ash refused to countenance that you know a negative uh, sort of persona on the training field would have that impact on everyone but he looks like he doesn't want to be there because he doesn't want to fucking be there it doesn't take a genius to work it out like he's not happy so he's sulking and throwing his toys out the pram and he just looks like someone who's having to get over the fact that he he thought he was about to move to city and earn a fuck ton of money and score lots of goals and instead he's having to run around with you know lucas moore and ollie skip and he didn't quite fancy that anymore and mm. um, so it doesn't surprise me but it just has such a, a a negative sort of yeah you're right sort of it just drags the mood down he's like i don't know he's that guy at the party who just like you know he starts yawning and everyone's like okay well i suppose are we calling it an early night like you know it's sort of, the emo is that, pop party yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's he's got all the wrong all the wrong long hair he's got all the, all the wrong I completely agree, though. I think he was dragging it down. Um, and there's a big question, I think, to be asked there, because are we actually just going to flog him through every game of the season for the sake of having kept hold of him? Or is mm. there something we can do? Um, and is that is that the job of the manager or is that something that has to go go higher than, higher than him? Yeah, perhaps so. I mean, having said all that, I don't think uh, everything was, was terrible. Um I know we. Um, this is this is probably really boring uh, pod content, but I think we agree on and Dombele was was at least uh, didn't have a great game, didn't have loads of success, but was at least trying to make things happen, which was I thought was a bit of a bright spark. 
Um, mm. And it, 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 it feels like he's maybe stepping up a bit this season. Yeah, and I think he's he's got at least some backing in terms. I think that's the third time that he's he's sort of started in a row in the ten with those two holding mids behind him. So he's he's got a bit of consistency around him, which he always needed. Um, I do think he's he's a very good player and he brings a huge amount of sort of talent to that to that role on the pitch. Um, and defensively, you know, I, I also think that Romero. The more I watch Romero, the more I get serious Lamella vibes. Like when he leant over that West Ham prick and 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 had a right dig at him for, for taking a bit of a dive, you know things like that. Like he's he's definitely got the the, the competitiveness and kind of the the devilment that that we love in our Argentinians, and we've got a long and illustrious history of Argentinians at Tottenham, and I think he he carries that on for us. It's a good word, strong word. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that that's making the edit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Admiring my um, can we just talk about a couple of incidents from an otherwise fairly dull game? Um, and Dombele and the penalty shout. Um, for my money, I, I tend to not be overly keen on these kind of incidents. Uh, I, I did feel like he just got out-competed, but you can see an argument for possibly having had a penalty. Yeah, I, I think my my sort of instinct on how I would like football to go is that it's OK if that's not a penalty. But the reality is he gets there first, he controls the ball and then he's trodden on and then he goes down. Um, and I don't know if, you know, it was, it was funny. Sunes at halftime was blaming him for, <laughs> for supposedly miscontrolling the ball. Um, rather than having been trod on. But I watched, um, I'm afraid to say, you know, bad bad news, I know. Um, I went with my brother to the Arsenal game on Friday evening and I watched Lacazette take the most appalling dive where he, the defender was about to clear the ball up the pitch and so he just got a toe in front of it and then on contact fell to the ground screaming, holding his, his toe. So <laughs> I look at it and I'm like, agree, in the ethos of football, do we want it to be? Maybe not, but other teams are getting those decisions, and it was it was certainly contentious. And what was um, the second incident that you had in mind? I'm wondering if we're thinking of the same one. Second incident was uh, Ollie Skip versus the touchline. Um, yes, I knew you were going to talk about this. Which I'm I'm genuinely torn on because. Um, it does sort of look like the ball goes out. I think it's impossible to say definitively from the camera angle without actually having been there. But again, it was the same thing, not just from Skip, but from everybody else. Statues. And mm. West Ham play on and Spurs don't. Too busy. Flagging to the referee and you nearly concede a goal from it. And it's unfortunate, but it happens. And like, this is basic stuff, man. <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I, I both understand what you're saying, but I also think if there's one person who's come out of the last few games of credit in the bank, it's Ollie Skip. I think he's been a heartbeat of the team. He's been looking really good and holding the field. He looks, frankly, like the better player of him and Hojbjerg. So he's he's definitely, you know, progressing well. And I, I, I think he, he's sort of everything that we need to have more of him in there he does seem to have an issue with, with the touchline um i hope that doesn't hold him back in future um <laughs> we can you know i mean at least he's not doing foul throws that's 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 my takeaway from it it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of a particular occasion that happened uh at a university football game once um in a varsity tournament uh a friend of mine uh, Rob is a, he's a rugby league guy. Uh, he, he doesn't doesn't like football. It's not his thing. Um, but uh, there was no there was no liner, uh, and he was there basically on the touchline. And the ref was like, "Can you do me a favour and and just run the line for me?" So he's like, "Yeah, okay, fine." So he gave him his flag. Bearing in mind, Rob doesn't really understand football and didn't have the foresight to say. So they don't understand the rules of this game that I'm now part officiating. Um, but, you know, who would have thought that would be an issue? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> game's going on. It's It's been going for like 
we win the second half. And uh, one of the opposition lads keeps the ball in. Uh, it's going out, keeps the ball in, but runs off the pitch uh, yeah. just through momentum. Uh, and Rob flagged. And that's because <laughs> touching the white in rugby league is a, is a foul. Uh, <laughs> uh, in rugby, it isn't. Uh, but he didn't know that, so he's flagging. This lad obviously goes mad at him and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, I think I so the referee comes over and he's, he's sort of... Yeah. Well, the referee comes over and he's like, the referee's confused as well because he's like, what, what, what's wrong? What, what, what are you flagging for? Um, but Rob thought that the referee was just ignoring him. And so called the referee dickhead. Oh, he's, he sounds like he's been a class linesman edition here. He's really part of the officiating team. Referee carded him. <laughs> <laughs> Must be the the only time in history that a referee's given a yellow card to his own linesman. <laughs> can you can you yellow card a linesman? I'm not even sure. I saw on the weekend. Um, did you see uh, Jose Mourinho getting sent off uh, for uh, for Roma? Um, for abusing the referee, and then Spalletti got it as well in the uh, the Arsenal after the game for uh, for Napoli Roma. Absolutely amazing when you when, when you see managers lose their shit like that. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? He's not had a good week, um, Jose, has he? He got absolutely spanked six one by Border Glimt, which is uh, and, and promptly amazing. threw all his players under the bus. Sounds familiar. Uh, mm. <laughs> um. Fine, we'll talk about it. We're trying not to. The goal. Mm. Um, I wrote on my pad FFS and underlined it and put an exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> before I tell you what I think, what did you think of that goal, Jules? My honest view is it's an unbelievable delivery from Aaron Cresswell. Um as someone who who plays plays football, obviously not at anything like that level, but hitting a corner which gets over the the near post man or the the six yard box covering man and getting it to drop down like that at pace requires some serious technical skill. Um, and I think the delivery makes the goal. Um, I also think it's something they clearly work on and they're very good at because they scored two from corners on Thursday mm-hmm. night. So they, they it's sort of. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. They have really good set piece takers and they have a six foot three centimetre, a six foot five centimetre, two big centre backs and Mikel Antonio up front. Who would have thought they're going to enjoy set pieces? Um, However, Harry Kane's marking also left a lot to be desired. Who defunct it? Um, It's interesting you should say that because obviously uh, I had a look at Spurs Twitter uh, which is something that nobody should ever do uh, any time in their lives. Uh, mm. It's just bin fire of hell. Um, <laughs> we love you all, listeners. There's Thank a lot so of... much. <laughs> Some of you are all right. Um, <laughs> um, a lot of understandable criticism of Harry Kane, and, and you know we've criticised him in today. He had a terrible game. He did. Um, and uh, I agree, his his uh, his marking was was dreadful. You can sort of see why Lucas Mora is near post because he's got really good aerial ability, so that makes sense. Um, Kane should have done better, but I felt that the lineup of everybody else was just far too congested at that near post, which makes it really it actually makes it quite difficult for Kane even if he isn't away with the fairies thinking about the nice house in Alderley Edge that he doesn't have anymore because he didn't move to CNC. <laughs> um, so there's like there's something structurally wrong with the way that the team is set up there, even if it does make sense to have somebody on the near post like that. Um, but then I guess the other thing that's, that's always worth mentioning, in fairness to Kane, is it, it shouldn't really have been a corner in the first place. So it's kind of classic layer upon layer upon layer of cock-up that leads to a goal. Um, mm. So uh, entirely preventable on another day probably wouldn't have happened and we'd be talking about a, a nil-nil. But I guess from a content point of view, we're, we're 
sort of weirdly grateful that it did happen because we do actually have something to talk about. <laughs> I think I think what, what I took from all that is this was a sort of pancake of shit and the various layers of it made it look worse than actually any of the individual pancakes. That's that's what I've taken away from you. Uh, if you not heard, the sewage is going into the rivers now. So, <laughs> oh god, let's, I don't think I don't think we if we stray onto this topic, that really is going to see me off. Let's can we? At, at what point do we Listen, get to talk um, about Man United? Well, before we before we enjoy that, let's just suffer a little bit more pain. Um, nice uh, nice stat for you, uh, Jules, which I thought was um, was particularly pertinent for this game because it was. Uh, Spurs were so narrow in this game it was like honestly um, it's it's extraordinary Um, it's like I've been on a crash diet that really went wrong formation makes us look like Slenderman if you know that that sort of horror meme yeah it's just oh Um, as a consequence of that I think or one of the consequences of that Spurs have the lowest number of crosses into the box of anyone in the Premier League. Um, and of the few crosses that did go in uh, on Sunday, uh, most of them were shit anyway. Um, it looked a little bit to me like um, Spurs were far too sort of, not, not one-dimensional, but sort of lopsided. Um, in a similar way that Jose's teams used to be with Aurier, um far too much was going to Reggie on uh, and it, it's kind of easy to play against isn't it if you've got if you're sort of sitting back keeping possession um, from West Ham's point of view all they have to do then in that second half is is press Spurs and the ball goes long and you either lose the header or uh, you end up recycling the ball and back to square one I also think hitting crosses into a box when the opposition centre-half pairing is Ogbonna and Kurt Zuma with two of the biggest and tallest centre-mid pairings in front of that doesn't seem like the best plan. Um, I think we've got to come up with something better than that, wasn't it? Um, I think when Moyes was in charge of uh, of United, I think they tried something like yeah, 42 crosses, crosses against, against Fulham. Yeah, and Fulham had that <laughs> six foot seven defender who just headed it away. I sort of had yeah. flashbacks, but 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 not in the good way this time. Maybe David Moyes learned a lesson from that. Hey, um. <laughs> <laughs> have the tall lads on my side this time. <laughs> uh, I know uh, we're not going to be overly effusive about West Ham, but but uh, fair play to Moyes. He is doing a good job there, as as weirdly disappointing as that is. Ooh, what's this? You said Tom and Ash weren't here, but here we are. What's going on, Ash? How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Very hungover. How are you? Yeah, yeah, same. Um, <laughs> Jim and Jules mentioned it earlier that, that we've been away on Ashley Stagdew, which is why our voices sound a few octaves lower than they should be. Um, I'm tired. Are you tired? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're here to talk about Burnley. It's possibly the worst game to have to try and <laughs> review after a Stagdew. Yeah, it really, really raises the spirits. I mean, thankfully, by the looks of it, we completely missed the, the West Ham game. Uh, <laughs> but from, from listening to Jules and Jim uh, up and so far, that they've done a, done a pretty good job of the part. I've had a listen. Uh, so I'll give you some spoilers, uh, Ash, as I've had to sort of edit what they've done so far. That Jim went to Dublin uh, and he got completely covered in beer, which as a, as a celiac, I, I'm surprised he, he just didn't melt into the ground into a pub. <laughs> But it's the most insulting thing that could happen to a man who can't physically drink stuff. Hey, he's still this. Good story to tell. Amazing. Joel, was he just being as boring as ever? Yeah. Yes, amazing. Yeah, that can stay in. Basically, they recorded this on a Monday. Because life, we haven't had time to, to punt this out before Burnley. So me and Ash thought we'd come along and speak about what actually happened in the League Cup tie uh, away at Turf Moor, which sees us through to the quarterfinals. Uh, interesting fact, this is the second year running we've made the quarterfinals, which Sky very kindly told me last night. Considering we were the runners-up last year, we would have called up the obvious. Anyway, we're there. We're here. This is our competition. This is our year. The year technically ends in one for now. So, windy, well, it, yeah, it was a windy day. It wasn't raining, but it looked like a horrible conditions. but we've done a job, didn't we? 
Yeah, we just about got through it. I mean, it was two teams coming into the game looking like pigeons fighting over a cum of bread. It was <laughs> depressing to watch. Just it was who was going to shit the bed the least, who couldn't be asked. That nobody wanted really to attack. We didn't see a shot on target until the 65th minute. Like what? The only thing more boring is the Burnley fucking tourist information desk. <laughs> That is true. Unfortunately, because they've previewed the, the Burnley game on the last part, they had to cut that out. It's no longer relevant. But Jim <laughs> was, uh, he, he wasn't too nice about Burnley. I'll put it that way. The football team on the town. Team. Right. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, him and Jules are both pretty scathing of the football team, which is fairly obvious. But I mean, I kind of, I kind of like them. They, they kind of, you know what they're going to do. And they, they come up and they do it. Mm. And it was really windy, and they were one 0 down. So they just went right, pelters, high balls into the box, deal with that. Put two wingers on, the return of the mighty Aaron Lennon, um, and uh, Maxwell Cornet, who who they, Jim and Jules mentioned, won't make the edit, but that he like, why has he come from Leon to come play in Burnley? <laughs> how uh, yeah. how Dyke looked at him and gone, well, he's what we need. This <laughs> uh, this progressive attacking winger, but you know they brought on that threat. Get the ball down the wing, cross the ball in. But do you know what? We looked all right, I thought, defensively. As boring as it sounds, yeah, we've done a job. Yeah, I was never, never afraid that we'll concede. I mean, even though the last 10 minutes showed that if anyone actually has a go at us, we're pretty fucking awful <laughs> and we can't <laughs> keep the ball. The de- defensively, we were pretty, pretty solid. And Romero and Sanchez dealt with pretty much everything that came their way. Gallini never looked like he was a problem. And Emerson had a fantastic game, both backwards and and going forwards and creating the goals. So, yeah, it was never a, never a threat. And Burnley, like you said, you know what you're going to get. They're going to just punt the ball long, whether it's windy or not. I'm not having that excuse, Tom. That it was windy, so they used it. They always fucking do it. It was windy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they put the wind on so they can use it. But I did yeah. want to talk about Emerson. In fairness, I thought probably one of his best games so far. I think Spurs fans, being Spurs fans. Well, being football fans in general, I'm always quick to judge. He, he came in literally after being signed from Barcelona, having played the season before that. Uh, was he at Real Betis the whole season before? Yeah. But he doesn't even speak English, poor lad. And we threw him into that game. I think it was the Crystal Palace game, which was a baptism of fire, if you can say it, uh, at the very least. And he's just come along and he's just slowly improved week after week. And I know we're starting to see the sort of, player we're going to get we're actually excited about a fullback and I've seen his heat map have you seen his heat map for this game I haven't hilarious just just the red along the touch line <laughs> and then the rest of the pitches isn't touched so he's a proper proper fullback and that's an attacking threat that, that we've lost that people always talk about the, the glory glory pot years where we didn't win anything and one of our biggest threats was our was our wingbacks or our fullbacks pushing forward and now we've got one. And there is one on the other side. It wasn't Ben, ben Davis, obviously, doesn't give you that. No, of course not. I'm not quite sure what he does give you. But, well, a headache. But uh, he's, he's exciting, Emerson. I'm excited about that. Cracking crossing. Lucas on the end of it. It looks like a salmon every time. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah I mean, Lucas Mora loves a third kit more than I love pizza. Talking about him. Like, he's always... <laughs> how many goals... How, what percentage of his goals have come in the Tottenham third kit? But, yeah, Emerson. Yeah, Emerson's yeah. class. He's... um. He, he runs, he's a bit like a gazelle. He's just deceptively fast. He sort of has this just long stride. He, I don't know, sometimes you look at him like, how have you got past the other player who's moving, who's trying so much harder to run than you are? But yeah, he's <laughs> a very, very good player. Smart purchase. And considering we lack so much attacking threat, it's nice to have one from another area of the pitch. Yeah, and he's up against Matt Neal as well. He's... You know, he's young, but he's he's seen enough football to, to, to be an absolute threat. And he's, he's, he's actually a very gifted footballer at that as well. Yeah. Um, he's an absolute touch for that, that Burnley have managed to, to develop him. That's a tough man to mark. And he, because he's so quick, he can keep track with these kind of guys. And obviously, he's not built like people like Jaffet or you know, some <laughs> of the, the odd right backs we've had over the years like Alan Hutton or... Sean Luca. Sean Luca there, yeah. <laughs> but he, he seems to he seems to hold his own. He's just intelligent. He's not like Aurier would either be standoffish or go full on the other way and take out his shins. 
But he, he looks he looks intelligent. It's so bizarre to see an intelligent right back at Spurs again. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And he's playing alongside, you know, other South Americans as well. Maybe that helps him settle. I don't know. Hmm. When you don't speak the language, it it might do. But to be fair to Sanchez, we know what we should get with Romero now, but looks a bit. Paul Sanchez had a pretty good game. I mean, when you're up against people like Chris Wood and <laughs> Ashley Barnes, you know, if, if one of those approached you for the time, you probably just give him your watch and just go, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pretty just take it all. Blokes. Take it yeah. <laughs> but I held their own, so yeah, it was someone described it as turgid. That is correct. Yeah. But, job done. We knew what we were getting from the Burnley players, but we also knew what we were getting from the game. I mean, it had like a one, it was always going to have one goal in it. It's, mm. It was like, you know, going for a far and not knowing if you're going to follow through or not. You knew, you knew what was going to happen. You just last three days. Yeah, it's been a dangerous time, a dangerous time. But um, I've just not recovered. I just wasn't prepared to watch fucking Burnley. <laughs> feeling still only half human I'd rather go back and toss a log yeah. like we did in the fucking Highland Games I am I am shattered <laughs> yeah I feel like I needed to be as as pissed as we were getting to, to talk, perhaps potentially enjoy Tottenham again anyway job done um, Jim and Jules do an excellent job previewing the United game in the uh, this beautiful piece of editorial podcasting which we call this segment um, so we won't go into too much detail about it but it's, it's an interesting time for this fixture to happen because we're shit so are they um it's like top trumps who's, who's in the biggest crisis whilst also not really being in a too disadvantaged disadvantageous position in, in the league despite them and us having some world-class players in their books i mean whether it's qualifies for a crisis or not, who knows? But this could be the first game in history where the two teams just agree to swap managers at half time. <laughs> well, I've seen it, I've seen it build as El, El um, Sakiko. So anything <laughs> could happen in this game. It's just, I, it was like, yeah, whoever turns up, whoever is, I'm worried it's going to turn into Maguire versus Dyer, who has the biggest fuck up. Their team will lose. <laughs> Yeah, I've just—I don't know who I'm more intimidated by, their attackers or ours. And I think the biggest point for me is it's kind of an age problem with Spurs is who's our number ten. Mm. It's not quite the Chelsea, and Dumbele is still not seeing consistent performances. Daily Ali is AWOL. Um, their United's creativity is going to be better than ours. For me, that's going to be the difference. Yeah. It's going to be marginal. That said. I reckon is better than theirs, though. So who who knows? Yeah, but given the circumstances of the fixture, the worst thing that could happen for both teams is a nil-nil draw. Mm. I reckon then no one's happy. So I reckon that that's my prediction. But if we're <laughs> if we're going to be unhappy, I also want them to be unhappy. I don't want one of the sides to go yeah. away happy if it's not yeah. Spurs. So more than happy for both guys to go home fucking miserable and wallow in the self-pity <laughs> that is fucking football management. But yeah, I can't. I can't see a Tottenham victory. It might be the fact that I'm still filled with about four liters of booze. But um, <laughs> let's let's go with. I'll go with one one. It'll be a bit more interesting. But two very very poor teams. Mm, agreed. So what we're going to do now in this editorial genius is fade back into the podcast you've just been listening to. Enjoy Jim and Jules again. Which then leads us quite nicely on to uh, the weekend, which um, which is an interesting one. I don't know if anybody heard. Uh, United had a uh, an interesting time of it on Saturday, shall we say, um, uh, on Sunday. So did you did you watch it, Jules? I did. I I took enormous pleasure uh, in watching them get absolutely destroyed by Liverpool, who are just a pleasure, aren't they? Um, they're amazing. Um, it's it's hard not to just parrot everything written by Barney Rona and Jonathan Wilson on the matter, but the the incompetence of United's manager Mr. Solskjaer is only matched by the stupidity of their business sort of execs and by the the, incre- the incredulity of their sort of I don't know Sky Sports mafia team 
to not throw their teammate under the bus and absolutely refuse to state the bleeding obvious, which is he's quite a shit manager. Like he wouldn't manage anyone else in the Premier League. Literally, Burnley wouldn't take him over Sean Dyche. You know, like uh, he's that bad a manager. Um, well, how do you feel about United? <laughs> well, I watched it. Um, I watched it with a Liverpool fan, which was great fun. I mean, there's just something. Uh, it's I, I know um, uh, Jurgen Klopp kind of calls it sort of heavy metal football, and you can understand why. It's like that. They are just what a football team should be. It's it's fun and exciting and enjoyable, and just uh, and some people hate Liverpool, so they can't see it. But it, they're just fun to watch, and like the way they pass and move is superb. Um, and they, they honestly made United look just utterly hopeless, which makes it for this game makes it a bit bit of a difficult one to pick in quite a few ways, but. Um, at the moment, I mean, we talk a lot about Spurs under underperforming. Do, do you think there's a there's a team, or is there a case anywhere in certainly in European football where a team is underperforming as much as United, given that the squad they've got and the money they've spent? I think it's very hard to think of an equivalent, to be honest with you. Um, I think there are other teams who aren't having the seasons that they that they probably should have I feel like Juventus are, are certainly culpable of something similar and again due to having had a bad manager but United mm. United employ four of the five best paid players in the league their net transfer spend is enormous their wage bill exceeds everyone else's um, and they've done this for a decade and they came into this decade in a position of absolute hegemony um, yeah. So for them to fail and be in this position is quite funny, but it's also quite funny because they've managed to do it by signing good players. Like the one thing which would really destabilise a manager who can't organise any form of press is signing the most immobile striker in world football at this level, but also one who you have to play every week for commercial reasons. Um, so they've really, they've really sort of fucked Ollie themselves as well it's um yeah I know you like you, you put you put beforehand in our, in our kind of our chat before the pod is there another case of a of a a team signing somebody as good as Ronaldo signing a, a Ballon d'Or winner and ending up a worse team as a result and and anybody that knew anything knew in the summer that Ronaldo wasn't what they needed it it was a bit like um it reminded me of Everton. It's, it's obviously not as a, 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 an example that's quite so egregious, but it reminded me of Everton signing Wayne Rooney one summer and James Rodriguez a summer or two later. Mm. Um, they were kind of almost like cock-waving signings. They're not... <laughs> Everybody knew they didn't need Ronaldo. They needed a CDM. They still do. <laughs> mm. I, I, I can't help but feel um, with... United whenever I watch them that they have the perfect sort of like money and resources to go and just buy Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice and I'm sure eventually someone at United will spot that <laughs> that apparent fit of just buying England's holding mids who are both 24 years old and just slotting them in for the next eight years um, but instead <laughs> they decided to spend the money for one of them on Ronaldo yeah Weird, weird. But but anyway, that makes them both crap and funny. Um, and and something that that I think again you've flagged is um, what a good side defensively. That they, they don't work hard. Uh, they don't like being pressed. Um. So. Oh, is Sunday just going to be like watching a Sunday league game? <laughs> <laughs> um, it will be something like walking football, um, but walking football when they have some people who like shooting an awful lot and are quite good at it. And they are also going to be smarting a lot more than we are. You know, we, I know, I feel like fans really uh, of Spurs really lit up the timeline with kind of, they wanted passion and some, some kind of sort of, fever because we were playing West Ham and our players played like they were hung over on a Sunday morning down on Hackney Marshes 
Um, but United will really be at the races. I think I think United will be fuming, hurt, um, and and I think they're going to come out of the blocks, you know, all guns blazing. So walking football, but they they've got people who shoot good. <laughs> this is again, this is the substance you come for. People who shoot good. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a strange one. I I, I sort of agree. Um, it, it, on the face of it, Nuno needs a result. Solskjaer certainly needs a result because he's got. I, don't know, I mean, he's got Spurs, but he's also got Atalanta and then and then the Manchester derby. So he he definitely needs one. Um, but for all his shortcomings, Solskjaer seems to be able to pull out a result when he really needs one. So, in a sense, it's a worse game for Spurs than it is for United, I think. And let, you know, let, let's be frank about it. Spurs losing to United wouldn't be surprising because United are a better side um, in, a, in a kind of normal world timeline. But we don't live in one. We, we live in one where United have all this talent and a manager that doesn't know how to use it. Um, and Spurs are... Uh, decent but not outstanding side with a manager who seems not to like to change anything so um <laughs> so I, maybe, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with i wouldn't disagree with any part of that and that is why i'm going to go for a 3-1 loss actually Ooh. no we're not going to score i'm going to say a 3-0 loss 3-0 oof ouch i'll be slightly more positive and say a 2-1 loss <laughs> <laughs> It's just the it's just the grade of loss that you're you you come to this podcast to listen for. It's not that it's, it's not <laughs> anything more positive. It's, it's the extent of your misery. Um, but well, look, let's all I'm saying right. is, last week I tried to be positive and thought Spurs would get a win and a draw and got two defeats. So now I'm just saying what I think. Maybe this time next week, after a two 0 win against Burnley and a two one loss against Man United, we should all be cheerier for the experience. <laughs> Uh, on that note, uh, give us a give us a follow uh, if you've listened this far. Thank you very much. I did say at the end of la- of the last pod, uh, if you listen to the end of this pod, I'd tell you what your prize was for persevering. Um, it was uh, basically I lied. Uh, you're all nice people. We appreciate your support. It's really hard to do podcasts when uh, when there's not really anything fun or exciting to talk about because that's what football should be. Uh, and when Spurs are crap, that makes things difficult. But we we give it a go anyway. Uh, give us a like, give us a follow, tell your friends. Uh, search Cock and Ball Pod on Instagram. Make sure you include the pod. Otherwise, you might have some explaining to do. And yeah, have a good week, and we'll see you soon.